Alright, we are going to go ahead and begin. We, again, take a lot of time with prayer, uh, so we're going to get as much as we can into this lesson. But if you would take uh, your Bibles, I think we're going to turn, we haven't read the, the, the um, passage in Luke, so take your Bible, turn to Luke chapter 9. We are considering the feeding of the 5,000. And this is a series that I have called, uh, If Christ Were Our Teacher. And I think... Uh, uh, because the feeding of the 5,000 is the only miracle that occur, or that is recorded in all four of the Gospels, there must be something very significant about it. And uh, because we see the Lord doing ministry in the feeding of the 5,000, I thought it would be a very good thing for us to consider. And uh, we're, we've already read in John and we've read in Mark, and uh, let's now read in Luke, uh, Luke chapter 9, beginning at uh, verse number 11. And uh, the people knew it, when the people, when they knew it, followed him. And he received them and spake unto them of the kingdom of God. It's interesting, let me pause there for a moment in the middle of that verse, because Luke's account is the only one that tells us that when Jesus, uh, uh, when that crowd came to Jesus, all of them, all four accounts say that Jesus healed them. And uh, several of the accounts say that Jesus had compassion on them. He saw them as sheep having no shepherd. But Luke's account is the only one that says he spake unto them of the kingdom of God. And that is significant because we don't much hear about the kingdom of God in teaching and preaching. But we should. Because the kingdom of God, what we understand is the kingdom of God is what everybody, almost everybody else out there thinks is the church. So when you ask, when you go to a, a somebody, what's, what's the church? Or, well, that's the collection of all born-again people living in the world, you know. And it's this invisible, universal, mysterious thing that you can't see. Well, <laughs> that isn't what the Bible says. The Bible says it was the church at Corinth or it was the church at Rome, or it was the church at Thessalonica, or the church at Jerusalem. And of the hundred, and I forget, 23 references to the word church, like something like something like 100 and, 108 of them say the church at, or the church of. And the ones that don't, which are mostly the, in, in the Gospel of Matthew and in Ephesians, they use church in the generic sense. Tell it unto the church. Uh, well, if the church is universal, invisible, and mysterious, how do you tell it unto the church then? That's an impossibility. It, it's nonsensical. But if uh, you understand church in the sense of the church here, or the church there, or the church way over there, then it makes sense. And so, uh, the kingdom of God, however, Jesus said, you can't see it. You can't touch it. It's within you. That's what the Bible describes the kingdom of God as. And so Jesus was talking in the kingdom of God. You don't get into the church by being born again. You get into the church by being baptized. How do you get into the kingdom of God? By being born again. Because John didn't baptize anybody unless they repented of their sins. And so, 
uh, that's a, a significant thing. When we consider ministry, we have to teach people how to get saved. And when we teach them how to get saved, we're showing them how to enter the kingdom of God. And until you're in the kingdom of God, you're in the kingdom of Satan. It's one of those two kingdoms. The kingdom of God or the kingdom of Satan. Let's go on in this verse. And he healed them that had need of healing. And when the day began to wear away, then came the twelve and said unto him, uh, For we are here in a desert place. Send the multitude away that they may go into the towns and country uh, round about and lodge and get victuals. But he said unto them, Give ye them. To eat. And they said, We have no more but five loaves and two fishes, except we should go and buy meat for all this people. And he said to the disciples, Make them sit down and buy fifties in a company. And they did so and made them all sit down. And uh, for there were about 5,000 men, not women and children, they just generally counted the men. Mm -hmm. I do think, though, that that crowd probably was predominantly men, but not entirely. We know that the context of this is after the beheading of John the Baptist, and it's just before the second Passover uh, in the Lord's ministry. And so this is, this is about almost one year before the Lord's crucifixion. And so the Passover was, was coming up. They were likely Jewish pilgrims. Jews, Jews could come from uh, the Galilee region, Nazareth region. Uh, there was, they had to go down to Jerusalem. But there was only two ways to go. They either had to go through Samaria, or they would cross over Jordan. They would go outside the borders of Israel as it existed at that time, and then cross back over right at Jericho, and then go to Jerusalem. And that's what most of them did. And this was, this was taking place on the eastern side of the Sea of Galilee. And uh, I don't know that we have a map of Israel here, but the, if you know the, the uh, Israel, you got the Sea of Galilee in the north, the Jordan River uh, goes straight down uh, to the Dead Sea in the south. And so that's what they would do. They would stay on the eastern side of the Jordan River and then cross over near Jericho and then go to Jerusalem. And uh, um, so there were about 5,000 men. Uh, we could easily think that there were 20,000 people. Uh, then he took the five loaves and the two fishes and looking up to heaven, he blessed them and break and gave to the disciples to set before the multitude. And they did eat and were all filled, and there was uh, taken up of fragments that remained to them twelve baskets. So we've begun talking about this. Uh, we see uh, not necessarily from Luke's account that we just read, but from the other accounts, uh, when Jesus heard of the death of John the Baptist, he said to his disciples, get in a boat, and they went over, and he was trying to get to a quiet Place. He was trying to get where they could be apart uh, from the crowds and uh, have a little peace and quiet. And every uh, now and then, when, especially when we feel like we've reached the end of our own resources, we need to get apart for a while. And for, for some of us, that may not take very long at all because uh, some people's resources are very limited. When I say resources, I guess I mean our ability to deal with other people. And uh, uh, Jesus obviously could deal with other people. But I think 
it was for the sake of the disciples that they were doing this. And uh, think about this. M many, many studies, numerous studies have shown that in virtually every church, 20% of the people do 80% of the work. That means 80% of the people don't really do anything. They come, they sit down, they might put some money in the offering. That's about it. And uh, so that means that those who do do the work in a church are then forced to pick up the slack for what other members are not doing. It also means there are probably people doing tasks and ministry that may not actually be in the area in which the Holy Spirit of God has gifted them. All, every Christian, the moment you get saved, the Holy Spirit of God gives you spiritual gifts. Now, we know from our study in Second or in First Peter, uh, chapter uh, um, five, that there are two basic kinds of spiritual gifts. There's spiritual gifts that involve speaking. So. Some people are better at speaking than others. Some people can't hardly speak before other, a group of other people without going into a panic or anxiety attack. But, but there are two different kinds. There are spiritual gifts that involve talking. It could be singing. It could be exhorting. It could be counseling. It could be encouraging. It could be preaching. It could be teaching. And then there are those that involve doing. There's the, the Bible speaks about gifts of management, gifts of, of uh, government, and uh, what those gifts are really talking about is the ability to keep everything in the church functioning the way it should be. Somebody, somebody has to pay the bills. Somebody has to... Uh, pay the missionaries, send the missionary support, somebody has to clean the church, somebody has to fix things that break. And all of those things are necessary things, and God gives people very different and varying spiritual gifts. I personally think, and I can't prove this with the Bible, but I think that God gives all of us spiritual gifts for two specific areas, one involving evangelism. In other words, we, we have a spiritual gift to be able to help others find Christ. Uh, that could be through um, doing the media ministry in the church and getting everything uploaded, making the website look nice, or making gospel tracts, whatever it might be. Uh, and then also we have spiritual gifts for edification, that is to build others up and to make the church better. And so um, when 80% of the people in the church though aren't doing anything, and 20% are doing everything, that means there are some, if not most of those 20%, that are having to do things that are not necessarily in the area in which the Holy Spirit of God has given them a spiritual gift. But they're more like Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 6, who when he saw the Lord high and lifted up, and uh, they said, who will go for us? Isaiah said, here am I, Lord. I'll go. And God is looking for that person. God is looking for that person, like in the day of Ezekiel, who will stand in the gap and fill in the hedge. And uh, these days, there's a lot of gaps that need to be filled. And uh, 
throughout this series, I have in my notes, you see here the yellow, those are all talking points. Because I want to engage the people in this class, however many or few there be here, uh, to, to think about these things. What jobs do you think are most often left undone in churches or who are being done by those that may not be particularly gifted in that area? Why? Teaching ones. Teaching. That's a big one. Because teaching of all the gifts, of all the jobs in a church, teaching takes time. Yeah. Teaching is the one that involves the most sacrifice. Because you don't stand up before other people for very long with nothing to say. And, and uh, you know, some people have the gift of gab, and they can just get up and, you know, they can get up and just, you know, go on and on, but they're not really, they're not really helping people grow spiritually. And this is what we're, we're teaching. Uh, now, I'm, I'm not using, actually, a Bible. I'm, this is, this is a, actually a, a harmony of the Gospels. So this is the Bible, but it's, it's just Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and it's arranged chronologically, and so it's a, it's a chronological harmony of the Gospels, and then I can look at all four texts in parallel form. Uh, but but uh, if you're going to be an effective teacher, you have to pray, because if we don't pray, then it's all on us, which means God isn't involved, and then it's pointless. We also need to know what we're teaching. So before you can teach others, you have to know the subject yourself, which means that you have to study. And you have to have a greater amount of knowledge about that subject even than what you're going to teach. And uh, teaching is kind of like, you know, you take a cup and you fill it up and once the cup is full and it spills over, that's what teaching is. You, but you can't really do it if you don't put the time into it. Also, teaching requires faithfulness. It requires faithfulness. As a pastor, I, I, I couldn't in good conscience ask somebody to be a teacher in our church who's not faithful. I know that, that some people, because of their jobs, they can't be here for every single service. I get that. Uh, but what I'm talking about is those who could be here but simply choose not to be. I couldn't ask them to be a teacher because they don't have the level of, of commitment to their own faith that is required in order to be a teacher. And uh, I know that uh, it bothers me greatly. There are people that they don't come to church faithfully, but they, they make blogs. They have, you know, you, they have their own YouTube channels. They put all kinds of things out on the internet and they kind of build themselves up as though they have this great uh, advanced knowledge of the Bible, but they're not even faithful. And if we read through the Bible, we're going to find over and over again where, you know, there are foundational things. There are, there are milk things that people don't get, and you can't get the meat if you don't have the milk first. And so, so... Uh, 
that's what I think we, we need teachers for the kids. Um, I love to have other people teach this class besides me because that's the only way that people can become a better teacher is by teaching. And also, if I have to teach three times on a Sunday and lead singing twice on Monday, and my voice sounds like I'm, I'm a smoker. <laughs> And uh, it's all worn out. But it's not also good for you to come for it one because it's too much work. Yeah. So, but you know, uh, anyways, uh, that's teaching is just one thing. You know, we we give. I think you know, like uh, nursery workers are so important. Yeah. And you know, our nursery is kind of small, and Korean ladies are, you know, some of them don't aren't ready to let other people take care of their kids for an hour. And uh, they hear a little bit of crying, they gotta run in, and you know that just conditions the kids to keep crying, you know. Yeah. So, uh, anyways, uh, there's a lot of areas where things could probably be made a little bit better. Uh, I've wanted to have a uh, campus ministry in this church when we were over in Changpadong next to the Women's University. That not once did anybody ever say, Pastor. What do you think we can do to reach all these college kids? And we're not that far from a major campus area, you know, in in Hong uh, um, and Shenzhen over there. Um, I promise you that Shenzhenji uh, is over there, and the Jehovah's Witnesses are over there, and the Mother God uh, Church is over there, and all of these. Um, ecumenical non-denominational churches with their you know Bible of the month uh, they're they're over there uh, but until somebody has a burden in their heart it's just not going to happen so uh, let me go on real quick there was uh, there was a lot that uh, Jesus had to do in preparation uh, for his coming sacrificial death and I think the reason that Jesus went across the lake it was so that he could pray and Jesus often separated from the crowds in order to separate unto his heavenly Father. And so, if it was a necessity for him to get away every now and then and pray, how much more so do you think it is for us? But I think when most of us get the opportunity to have peace and quiet instead of it being a chance to get closer to God and we use it as a chance for recreation or rest or something like that. Uh, I don't think that Jesus took vacations in order to get more recreation or even more rest. I think he took them so that he could get closer to God. And uh, there's one preacher, I'm not sure if it was Spurgeon, but he said that we need to come apart once in a while so we don't come apart. And uh, maybe the reason that most of us don't have the spiritual power that we ought to is because we never have that season of extra prayer time. And uh, uh, I'm not uh, suggesting that you know, people are lazy if they go on vacation, but when Christ took rest from his disciples, uh, it was often an opportunity to teach them and to pray 
with them. And uh, I don't think that, uh, also, as I read the, the Gospels, I don't think that Jesus ever, even once, sought solitude and quiet when it was time to worship publicly. In other words, he never took a vacation from God or from faith. And so, uh, when, when it, on, the, on the Sabbath, because that's, he was a Jew and that was Israel, and that's when they took out God's Word and, and read it publicly, and that's when they, they gave an exposition of God's Word. And uh, he, he was always at the approved place of worship at the approved time. He never took a vacation from God. And uh, so when we take our times of rest in God's service, it shouldn't be a rest from God or even a rest from serving God. Now, because of Christ's popularity among the common people, he, he found very little quietness. And so this uh, miracle took place, as I said, near the Passover celebration. And uh, there were great crowds of people uh, that were making their way south. And uh, they learned where he was. They followed him. He went across the lake uh, in a boat with his disciples. But they, they traveled around by foot. And, uh, and uh, though his preference was for peace and quiet, he was flexible enough to seize an opportunity when it came. And he also didn't allow his own personal needs to cause him to be insensitive or indifferent to the need of others. And that's, boy, that, that's a big problem these days. Is God's people being indifferent to others? Christ always acted when he was moved with compassion. And he was moved with compassion because of what he saw. There are too many Christians that look but do not see. He saw the people as sheep having no shepherd. He saw an opportunity to preach to them the kingdom of God. And he did not let that opportunity go unused. And uh, all right, I think we will uh, stop right here. And uh, next week, we're going to try, although I don't know that we'll make it because I still have like uh, six more pages of notes. We really haven't barely got into discussing the significance of the feeding of the 5,000. We're really still uh, considering the background to it and all, but, but there are some things, I think, that will really challenge us uh, as we consider this. And so uh, we'll get into it and uh, pray that uh, next week uh, we'll have a few more people here, some who are out of town, that they'll be back safely. Let's uh, close in prayer. Oh, Lord, thank you for your love for us. Thank you for this day. Thank you for Jesus Christ, our Savior. He loved those people enough that he took a whole day uh, to preach the truth to them. And then, uh, because they were hungry, he fed them. Because they were sick, he healed them. And I pray, God, that you would help us to be like our Savior. Not to be content to send the crowd away unsatisfied with their bellies hungry. I pray, God, that you'll uh, help us to be busy about the Master's work. And, uh, Lord, use us this day. I pray that somebody might come hear the gospel and be saved. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.